Faulkner, and you are listening to Pregnancy Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk all about that. I am a nurse, and uh, with about 20 years in labor and delivery, I'm a mother, a writer, a writing coach, and I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy. You can learn all about me at jeanfaulkner.com, and yeah, I know, I've got a hard name to spell, J-E-A-N-N-E, Faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R. Go pick up your copy of the workbook over there. It's a workbook birth planner journal called Mom's Side of the Story. So this week's been a big one in terms of politics. Um, Most important thing I want to say right now is for any of you who haven't heard it on the news yet, um, President Trump broadcast on major media outlets that children were immune to COVID. We're going to talk about that with a pediatrician and neonatologist um, for this week's guest, and she's going to tell us what she's seeing. The bottom line is this. Children are not immune. Children get COVID too. Some die. Some remain sick for a long time. Some spread it to the rest of the family, to their friends, to their neighbors, to their teachers. It's ridiculous and dangerous um, to spread misinformation and lies about a life-threatening topic. COVID is nothing to mess around with. Um, I am recording this episode, going to shift gears here real fast. I'm recording this episode during World Breastfeeding Week 2020. The theme this year is uh, support breastfeeding for a healthier planet. It is um, World Breastfeeding Week is a World Health Organization event that has been shared for decades around the world. It is a global celebration of breastfeeding, which is millions, you know, think about it right now. Millions and millions of women are actively breastfeeding right now at this time in their life. Millions and millions all around the world are sharing this global event. Um, All of you together, all of us who have breastfed before this time, and the billions of women throughout history who have fed all the world's humans. The World Health Organization says breastfeeding provides every child with the best possible start in life. It delivers health, nutrition, and emotional benefits to both children and mothers, and it forms part of a sustainable food system. But while breastfeeding is a natural process, it is not always easy. Mothers need support both to get started and to sustain breastfeeding. And this week's guest is all about that. Dr. Jessica Madden is a mother of four, a board-certified pediatrician and neonatologist, and a soon-to-be international board-certified lactation consultant. Let's get Dr. Madden on the line. Hi, Dr. Madden. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing just fine. Thanks. So where in the country are you, Dr. Madden? I'm located in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, so in Northeast Ohio. Ah, okay. All right. Um, I've never been to Ohio. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Um, Okay. Yeah, but actually you are the third person from Ohio that I've talked to today. It's Ohio Day. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah, that's really, that's quite a coincidence. Yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So I read a bit of your bio before we picked up the phone today. And um, my first question is always the hardest one. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, absolutely. Well, I can answer that one. <laughs> my, name, <laughs> my name is um, Jessica Madden. I am a physician and I'm board certified in two specialties. I'm a pediatrician and I'm also a neonatologist, so um, a specialist in newborn medicine. I currently um, have a bunch of hats that I wear in everyday life. I'm a mom of four. I work part-time at a large academic medical center where I work in a level four neonatal intensive care unit. And I also do a lot of teaching of medical students and other trainees. And then I also have a side practice um, which, in which I focus on um, really helping and working with moms of new babies within the first couple um, months of life. Um, I can provide medical care and lactation support and really whatever else um, moms need. So is it like a um, private concierge service? It is. Ah, yeah. got it. Got yeah, it. it is. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I love a side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So how did you find your way into this career? Did you Were you just somebody who knew you wanted to be a pediatrician when you grew up? I was. I learned when I was eight years old. I was at a Girl Scout meeting, actually, with my Brownie troop. And we had a pediatrician come and speak to us. And I was enthralled. She was a female. And I, up to that point, I did not even know that a doctor could be a woman. I thought that it was just a job for men. Hmm. So it just planted the seed at that point. I know it's, we've come a long way, fortunately. Yeah. I don't think there's, hopefully there's no kids nowadays, eight-year-olds, that would have that um, impression. And then neonatology was just a really series of a pathway where I kept getting introduced to neonatology as a high school student and as an undergrad and um, a medical student. And so it kind of was just like, as I look back, I can connect all the dots, but I always have um, came back to that. I feel what I'm doing, what I um, am supposed to be doing. Um, which is, which is, I feel really fortunate in that sense to have um, a career that I'm so passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. I um, worked in the NICU for a, quite a bit of time, but I oh. was, I was a labor and delivery nurse and in a hospital where, you know, you, you did your turn in the NICU on busy nights. And I yeah. ad admire the work you do so much because I never felt secure working in the NICU. I never, you know, I hated drawing blood and giving IVs to newborn babies and they were just so fragile. You must be so brave. It's funny because yeah, I have the exact opposite of you. It's where I, at one point I considered working in the obstetric world and then I realized I'd have to be managing women in labor and it scared, <laughs> scared me so much. I was like, I can't do that. Hand me the baby, but oh my gosh, I just, when you think of all the things that can go wrong, I, so it's the total opposite, which is funny, but thank you so much for that. Yeah. I was talking to my walking partner who is a retired OBGYN and we were just talking yesterday about how many, um, departments in the hospital are terrified of pregnant women. Like if a, if mm -hmm. a pregnant woman comes into the emergency room with 
a sprained ankle, they're sending her to us first to make sure there's not a chance in the world that she's going to be having that baby. <laughs> right. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. The, the ER delivery is, yeah, that's never goes well from what I've seen. And it almost, it just almost never happens. I was watching um, right. New Amsterdam. Have you ever seen that TV show? I know of it, but I haven't seen it. Oh, I loved that show. It was, it was super fun. But they had, you know, women would come into the ER there all the time and have their babies. And I'm thinking, no, they wouldn't. Mess with my <laughs> No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So you have four kids. Me too. Me too. Oh, you... wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you got? <laughs> what do you got? So I have, um, the order goes daughter, son, daughter, daughter. Right. And they range in age from 14. My oldest is 14 and my youngest is eight. So they're all a year to two years apart. So we're in that, I think it's a great phase that we're in right now, mm -hmm. um, being in, you know, school and then entering high school. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. How old are your kids? They're grown. They're grown adults. But I, oh, okay. I also have three daughters and a son. Yeah. Daughter, daughter, okay. son, daughter. Yeah. Daughter, daughter, son, daughter. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different combinations when you hit four uh -huh. for what the breakdown can be of gender and order. Yeah. Yeah. So when yeah. you, when, well, you I always when you decided to have, when you had four kids, you know, people look at, mm -hmm. they look at us, those of us who are mothers of many, um, and, and we always get that startled expression, like four, what, were you, <laughs> what happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> four <laughs> I know yeah I know it's yeah and it's funny because I look at now at moms that have one or two and it the first thing that goes through my head when I feel like a mom with a toddler and a baby is oh my gosh she's got her hands full and then I think back and I'm like okay I was that mom not so long ago yeah yeah and then you did it a, a couple more times yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah of course yeah, yeah. I do think but... that it's true that having I mean you have your first kid and that is the hardest it's the hardest because you're you know you're you're figuring out your whole new identity and how do babies work and all of that and then you have your second baby and it's not twice the work it's like one and a half times because you already know mm -hmm. what you're doing yeah. and you're already mom and um, they can entertain each other just a little bit and then when you get to three mm -hmm. That one I thought was a bit of a struggle too, because how do you parent three kids when you only have two hands, two parents, you know, two? Right. How does that work? In one lap. <laughs> yes. And right. Yes. Yeah. And, and but then the fourth was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Just oh, absolutely. Grab and oh, go. She gets away <laughs> right with everything. It's like crazy when I see my youngest and she's running around all the time like it's it, she's like a free I don't know what I call it like a wild beast but she gets away with all of these things that my, especially my oldest two never could have done because now I realize like they're not going to break and right. they're going to be okay um, but it does take a while I mean, it's like you have to get through the process you know to be able to, to get to that point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely I know. If we could only raise our oldest the way we finally raise our youngest when we have it figured out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We'd be really chilled out. And it'd be great. It'd be great. Yeah. 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 So you're also all about breastfeeding. 
I, did I, I read it right that you're going to be a lactation consultant? I am. Yeah, I'm actually, um, I've went through all the clinical time and the coursework and I will be finally being able to sit for the lactation board next month. Um, they had been postponed from the spring just because of COVID, yeah. just basically any type of board certification. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's something that um, I wanted. I'm, I've been passionate about breastfeeding for ages and um it, yeah, it's just something that I've wanted to be able to do. So the end, I'm almost there. Um, but I've worked with the last decade, decade and a half, I, I've worked with, I guess at this point, probably thousands of moms, mm-hmm. you know, with breastfeeding in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's unusual for a, a medical doctor, an MD, to do lactation consultant certification. I mean, I, nurses, of course. Yeah, there many, are. Yes, yeah. But not many doctors. Yeah, are you? There are aren't you, as many, no. But some? but some. There are. Yeah, I've actually. There are more than you. They're around, um, but it's not. Until I joined, there's a, a large association called the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, and it is full of MDs who are either lactation consultants or you know specialists in the field or do research. But until I joined and hooked up with that association, I really didn't, I knew one. I think I had only met one other pediatrician that was in this situation. Hmm. So um, it's just, it's hard to find. So everybody's there, but they're not very connected at this point right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is obviously going to be the focus of our conversation this today, um, because we are Mm -hmm. recording this conversation during World Breastfeeding Week. It's not going to, we're going to be a few few days past the week when it finally airs, but um, I'm glad we get a chance to talk about it. Um, It's an evergreen topic, but maybe we should start with talking a little bit about what, why do we have a World Breastfeeding Week? Do you have an answer for that? Oh, the why of it? Yeah. What's that about? Um, I think it's, I think there's a couple purposes of World Breastfeeding Week, and I have to admit, um, I did not know five years ago that there was a World Breastfeeding mm-hmm. um, Week. Mm-hmm. But what I've come to appreciate is two, two prongs. The first is that despite breastfeeding being the default normal way to feed babies, newborn babies, mm-hmm. um, that we, we still have to increase awareness of it. it it sounds so silly you know when I say that like we have to increase awareness of breastfeeding but there's still so much out there of misunderstanding and misinformation um, that I think it's really important to come back to yes women have babies and they feed they breastfeed them and this is okay and this is normal and the second is just to support all of the hundreds of thousands of moms out there who are breastfeeding their babies right now and in the past and will be in the future um, to support and really, like, I guess not the right word to congratulate, but just to to let them know, like, this is so important yeah. and so appreciated. And this is, but this is work, too. Like, it is yeah. not an easy thing to do. It isn't like you just pop a baby on a breast for a few minutes, you know what I mean, and put him down and that's it I mean this is something that is a labor of love yeah it's a lifestyle and so I think the the awareness and the support are really important um and we've made progress but I 
I really do feel like we still have a lot of ways to go here in, in the U.S. in terms of supporting breastfeeding moms. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about this recently, that one of the biggest steps I think that needs to be made in terms of normalizing breastfeeding is uh, reaching across the aisle to the guys. That um, that it, That is so often one of the biggest stigmas is that breast you know, breasts are, are sexualized primarily. And so mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of, I call it epishness by, by men sometimes and misunderstanding. So I'm hoping that we've got some, oh, some dads listening in on us. Yeah, yeah. I hope so too. It kind of reminds me of, you know, an analogy I think of, I think of the same thing all the time, but an analogy is just like sometimes how I feel like, men and husbands and can be just about women having periods Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. what I mean there's that kind of squeamishness and I feel like it goes to childbirth and breastfeeding you know Mm -hmm. and all of those arenas too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but I totally agree with you on getting dads involved and on board yeah 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 I think of world breastfeeding week as you know of course number one to support providing more information around it normalizing it but also, like you said, to just, we've got women who are listening to this episode who have a baby on their boob right this very second. We see mm-hmm. you. We see you, mamas. We're here for you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, how do we increase breastfeeding? How do we do it? You know, I, th- I think that clearly numbers are rising. I mean, the 50s and 60s, it was not an it was not a popular thing to do, but breastfeeding statistics have pretty much risen ever since then, right? Oh, they have, yes, absolutely, yeah. Especially compared to like when when like my mom was having kids, she did breastfeed all five of us, and she said she remembers just people kind of looking at her with disdain or just not understanding. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? You're feeding your baby milk from your breast. You know, why aren't you giving formula? Because that was the norm at that point. So when I look back over the last three to four decades, it's incredible. But I mean, we still have so so, uh, much work to do on making our society breastfeeding friendly. Yeah. Um, For certain. And I mean, it even starts you know, just in our workplaces. I know a lot of employers, they, you know, they do give women breaks. So, so many moms are re-entering the workforce at some point mm-hmm. and in the position of continuing to nurse and breastfeed and provide breast milk. Right. But when you start to look at the logistics of pumping and you realize that, okay, like how, when am I going to pump during my work day or if you work the night shift during mm-hmm. my night shift? And where is that location going to be? Mm-hmm. And um, if you don't mind, I have an anecdote to tell you that's really close to home because it's happened so recently. And it was just a huge wake-up call of, wow, we have a ways to go. But um, I yeah. work with a lot of moms of premature babies. Mm-hmm. And for our premature baby population, especially the smallest preemies, we need to feed them breast milk um, because it helps prevent a infection of their bowels called necrotizing enterocolitis, which can be deadly. And the best preventative way to prevent this from happening is to give mom's breast milk. And so um, in the NICU I work in, I work really closely with lactation consultants and the breastfeeding support group for moms. And over the course of several weeks, I bonded or got really close to one of the moms of our patients. 
and she was just transitioning back to work. Like she is a manager at a McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to her one of the weeks about you're doing this. She had done this incredible job. So she had to go back to work while her baby was still in the NICU because she wanted to save her maternity leave for when her baby came home, which is a whole other problem that we have with maternity leave. Um, but, but talking about what she was doing was she worked like a normal, you know, eight, nine hour day. She was only able to pump once a day, she told me, because there was nowhere that she could pump at McDonald's. So she was walking like 20 minutes to get home mm. to, you know, hook herself mm. up to a pump and pump at home. And then walking 20 minutes back. So she was kind of using her main hour lunch break. So I talked to her about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, we need to support you. You know what I mean? And being able to do this more, like, what are the options? So she's like, okay, I'll talk to, you know, whoever it is above overseeing her, what, what can we do? Um, because the office that she works in at McDonald's, apparently it's a shared office with no door on it. So there's mm-hmm. absolutely no privacy. And she was given the option to pump in the bathroom, but it's the bathroom um, it's also, it's really a non-optimal, non-sanitary, you know, place to be pumping. Yeah. So she came back a week or two later. She's like, okay, we've worked out a solution. My, you know, I want to say boss, she's a manager. So whoever's over her gave her, there's apparently like a wood shed that was out the back of the McDonald's, a wooden shed mm-hmm. that was unheated, but had an electrical plug in it. So she could plug her pump in. Oh, oh my God. And I was like. This was like in March or I mean March or February or March in Cleveland. It was before the pandemic. It was in February. Mm-hmm. It is really, really cold. Yeah. So they were putting a space heater in for her. It was like, oh my gosh, like this is just you are so dedicated and this is just at the same time like so horrible that that's where you have to pump as a working mom in a partially yeah. heated shed, wood shed behind a McDonald's. Yeah. But I'll so give, I guess I'll I'm give small to get... props to the to McDonald's for coming up with a little solution for her right then and there. At least, right. It didn't involve her walking home and back and then yeah. in the cold weather also because that's how she got there. She didn't have transportation. Yeah. But yeah. then even if I talk to my trainees, so I work in a women's and children's hospital. This is my, you know, my life. And even when I talk to my residents and um, fellows who are breastfeeding moms, you know, at various points, it can be up to 10-minute walk just to get to the pump room. You know what I mean? Because it's mm-hmm. in a way other side of the hospital on a floor. Even when you look at things like that, wow, like, that's great. There is a pump room and there's a private place. But again, you look at the time factor. Like, wow, they're spending 20 minutes just to go walk back and forth. Yeah, yeah. And then it takes 15, 15 minutes if you've got a good pump. So that's, you know, quite Exactly. A, yeah, even when I was working labor and delivery, which was obviously baby friendly and, you know, we were all pro breastfeeding. When it was, when you had a new mom who needed to pump, you had to make sure that you could pass off your patient to another nurse mm-hmm. to watch them right. so that you could go back to the, you know, even just an empty patient room or, you know, whatever we could. We had an optimal setting, but we didn't have an optimal system. And, you know, all okay. of these problems are so systemic, you know, and, it, Absolutely. and it, ultimately yeah. it comes down to not prioritizing um, what mothers do, not saying, oh, we've been, we're going to have mothers who work for us. Mothers, you know, are, we're going to have women who are working for us. They're going to become mothers, some of them. Let's make sure that we work this into our systems, not because we're doing them a big fat favor, you know, or giving them special treatment, but because 
women are the ones who provide the next generation. This is what we're, you know? Yeah. Yes. We're investing in our future, not only of your company or business, but of the, really the entire world. It is so important. I agree with you on that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that is just the, the crux of where we are right now. We've made improvement, but so much improvement to go. And I, sincerely hope that when my daughters are having you know babies someday and moms someday that that nobody is in that situation of pumping in a unheated shed or that it's that hopefully things have gotten better well we're going to need a revolution because my daughters are considerably older than yours daughters but they're coming Mm -hmm. of an age where yeah there will be some kids coming within the next probably five years and um I'm thinking back to when I had them and my circumstances with breastfeeding. And you know what? Nothing's changed. Nothing has okay. changed. Yeah. And it's been like <sighs> 30 years. And okay. we, we talk about it more. We have conversations more. We have World Breastfeeding Week and all of that. But we don't have paid maternity leave so that a mother of a preemie could actually stay in the NICU. We don't have right. paid maternity leave for most women, so they can't afford to stay home and breastfeed because nobody's paying them. They've got rent to pay, too, you know? Right. It's an impossible system because women are not valued for that here in our country. I agree. Yeah, that's I the bottom totally line, agree. isn't it? That's the bottom line. Yep. 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 So, I mean, we could talk about that, it sounds like. You and I could back and forth that one for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely can. So how do we normalize it then? What do we do? We talk about it. Yes, it's the million dollar question. Um, I have seen really um, some very cool smaller projects and initiatives um, that do give me a sense of hope. Um, one of them, which I thought was incredible, um, I was interviewing a pediatric resident in the Chicago area about a year ago. And he, it was, he, was, he was incredible. I mean, he was very, very passionate about lactation and breastfeeding and supporting all moms with it. And um, they had created a curriculum and it was for like middle school students at a couple of schools in one of the school systems, like sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And they were coming in to speak to these like pre- tweens and teens about breastfeeding and teaching mm-hmm. them how it works, mm-hmm. the basics of what breasts are, you know what I mean, and milk and why milk was important. Mm-hmm. And you know, why babies need their mom's milk. And I, you know, I said at first I was like, that sounds kind of strange. I'll be honest. Yeah. Okay. But I thought about it and I'm like, kids their ages don't get exposed to this at all. Like what a good idea to start when they're young, just educating them about things like that. I have never heard of anyone else really doing that before. And so that was, you know, one thing that, you know, something like, I'm not saying there has to be this nationwide curriculum, but, you know, a small thing where at least for those core students that he was able to work with, that might impact them for life you in know, terms of their thoughts and, um, you know, their sentiments towards breastfeeding. 
Um, so that was like just one one small example. And then um, I was able to connect also with a lactation consultant um, who's over in the UK. Mm-hmm. And my understanding, if I'm remembering right, I, I'm I cannot remember the exact name of her breastfeeding association. It's not Le Leche, but it's very similar to it. Mm -hmm. And um, what they had done in there, because their rates were abysmal, like the rates of, it was, I think, near Manchester, England, the rates of actual, like, women who leave the hospital breastfeeding and then are breastfeeding at six months are even way worse than they are here in the States. Mm. And so one of the things that they had done was just creating a campaign where, any local business that was supporting breastfeeding um, had this purple sticker of a mom holding a baby that was in the window so that moms knew that there was a place there, a comfortable, clean, you know, safe place that they could feed their baby or pump. It was like coffee shops, restaurants, you know, clothing stores, retailers. So you're walking your baby in your stroller, or I think it's a pram over there that they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know that there's somewhere to go in. And I was like, it's a really nice idea, too. Like, they really may have nice. that going on in coastal areas of the U.S. But I can definitely say here in the Midwest, um, the heartland, that there's absolutely nothing like that going on. And it's yeah. not a hard thing to do. No. But just things like that, you know, it, there's these grassroots efforts going on. And I think if certain things take off and then can be replicated in other regions and areas that that at least it's it's a good start. It's much better than what we have right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, I was the the best place outside of the house to breastfeed. I swear was the Nordstrom's ladies room where they have the separate lounge next to it and those big wide couches. Mm -hmm. It was fabulous. Yep. (laughs) I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before. I never had that I don't think I lived near a Nordstrom's when I had little ones, but I've heard that before, that that is one of the best places. I wasn't shopping That's at funny. Nordstrom's. I was shopping at the <laughs> other end of the mall at Marshall's and Sears. And, but, right. But yeah. uh, we'd, you'd walk the length of the mall if you you were out shopping with a bunch of kids and you needed to breastfeed the baby. Yeah, you'd go down to the Nordstrom's dressing room and they were absolutely <laughs> lovely about it. It was yeah, wonderful. Which is great. Think yeah. about if there are more places like that around. That yeah. would be so nice. I know. So, I know. so nice. But I, and I, here I am looking around 25, 30 years later, and yeah, it's not that different. It's not that different. No, no. The other women in recent years telling me about the Nordstrom. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about the coronavirus, shall we? Breastfeeding during the coronavirus. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell um, you my li- my little story. Um, someone sure. very near and dear to my heart re- had a baby during the coronavirus, and uh, mm-hmm. in an area uh, where virus rates were going up, and she was about three, four weeks postpartum, and she spiked a fever, and body mm-hmm. aches all over the darn place, and nauseous, and feeling horrible in every possible way and she was terrified to go to urgent care or the er because of coronavirus but uh she did go with some applied pressure and they Mm -hmm. they did a covid test um but they also gave her antibiotics for mastitis just in case and it was the most terrifying experience i don't think anybody has celebrated harder when that coronavirus came back negative 
It was okay. just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So breastfeeding, she had mastitis and the antibiotics worked. Um, but there she was three weeks, very, very little support. And some people were telling her that she shouldn't breastfeed. Yeah, I have heard, I am in several online forums um, for physicians and breastfeeding moms, and the anecdotes and stories I've heard are so similar of moms. And these are moms, not, not the exact same scenario, but a lot of moms who are coronavirus positive being told by practitioners to stop breastfeeding because of the risk to the baby, mm-hmm. which is exactly the opposite of what is actually recommended. If a mom has coronavirus, one of the best ways to protect her baby is to continue to give breast milk because of the antibodies, you know what I mean? The antibodies yeah. Yeah. and antiviral um, proteins that are in breast milk. Right. Um, but this is happening. There's so much informa- misinformation about it. And we're in, unfortunately in this situation where, okay, granted, we're five to six months into the pandemic, but in terms of information on pregnant women and breastfeeding women and postpartum moms and corona, there's not, it's being collected right now. We're in the middle of data, mass data collection, but in terms of the results, and, you know, we, we don't have them right now. Yeah. So some people are erring on the side of, well, we don't know, like, could babies get sick from breast milk? Let's be safe and not. But really, from overall, if you look at the guidelines of really the, the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics and Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, they are to continue to, to breastfeed, but just to take precautions, like if you actually have symptoms and are sick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing to me how often when standards are being made in real time like this and some, you know, nothing like this has ever happened before, but that um, stop doing the normal physiologic thing is the first, the first line of defense. So now that, I mean, we're, we're old in the pandemic now, month four, month five, um, and now people Mm -hmm. are, are accepting what is really logical and physiologic, you know? Were, right. Were, they are. Yeah. The, the benefits of breast milk at this point are, you know what I mean, in terms of the virus and the pandemic are even more important, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be appreciated as so. Um, and, you know, what I one thing that I really do, and I'm sorry if I am going off topic a little bit, but really emphasizing with moms out there, especially new moms, that if your baby is in a situation, you know, we're talking about things like this, and they have had some formula at some point as a supplement, it's okay. Like, you're not causing any harm to your baby. You're yeah. not increasing your baby's risk of the virus. Mm-hmm. Because breast milk, it's not, it's, a, it's not an all or nothing thing. Right. You know what I mean? It's more of like, the more that they get, the more they benefit. Um, so I just don't want anyone to come away thinking that, you know what I mean, are feeling bad about it or anything like that. Um, but I always call special mutation. Some breast milk is better than none at all. Yeah. You know, do your best with it. Yeah. But yeah, you can give your baby, especially right now, a newborn baby, be preterm or full term. During this risk of coronavirus, breast milk is a way that you can protect them. Yeah, great. So what about precautions that moms should take? 
um, overall percussions. So it's a, it is a little bit of a moving target. And I'm going to preface it by at one point back in the spring, women who were testing positive, it was being recommended that they be separated from their babies. Yeah. Okay. And that is no longer the case. And then my heart breaks when I, you know, hear about or think about moms that have been put in that situation. So if you are, if you know that you're positive, the best ways that you can protect your baby, I would recommend that you wear a mask, okay, when you're in close proximity, when you're in the active phase, like the active infectious phase of it, you know, once you, before you, when you're on quarantine, mm-hmm. um, to wear a mask and probably um, be a little more diligent about hand hygiene that maybe you would be if you weren't in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, like, I didn't used to hand sanitize my hands before I'd pop a baby on a breast. Before I pumped, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But this is a situation more where, yes, you, you, you should um, to be careful because there are viral particles um, on your hands um, in terms of that. And then if you're sick with the virus, just be really careful to take care of your own health, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where you enlist your partner, you know, whoever it is, dad or whoever it is, um, or your partner, or somebody to be able to help you, help you with your newborn baby too. But there is absolutely no reason that a mom and a baby should be separated in these situations right now, unless either mom or baby are sick enough for either one to end up in an ICU. You know, like a mom who's sick enough with it to be right. in an adult ICU, or a baby who has to come to the NICU or something. Yeah. And um, again, I think, unfortunately, what I'm hearing through the grapevine is that that separation is possibly still um, going on at some hospitals. Not yeah. a lot, but that that still is happening. Yeah. And it, that should not be. And moms can always opt out of that, you know what I mean, or yeah. Yeah. Or, or refuse that, too. It should never be forced, ever. Yeah. It's awfully hard to refuse what you're told to do at a hospital. But it's really good for our listeners know. to know that. Nobody, yeah. nobody thinks your baby needs to be separated from you. And if you're at a hospital where they're still doing that, tell them, no, it is your baby. Absolutely. Your baby. Yes. Yeah. Have yes. you seen any babies with, with COVID? I have seen multiple babies um, born to moms with COVID. Mm-hmm. And I have had patients, so they've had moms that have just been COVID positive on screening, didn't even know that, like no symptoms. Mm-hmm. to moms who are COVID positive who are on heart-lung bypass or ECMO. Mm. Fortunately, right now, I've not had a single patient who has symptoms themselves. And none of the babies I have born to COVID positive moms have been positive themselves. Great. We'll test the babies when they're 24 hours old and they're 48 hours old. Um, that being said, there is a registry right now. And I think the last I checked, yeah, something about 100 to 150 babies in the United States have been COVID positive. Mm-hmm. Um, more than not have had absolutely no symptoms, fortunately. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really important to, message to send this particular week when messages that many parents are hearing on the news, um, you know, the, the president has said that kids aren't contagious or are mostly immune and which was inaccurate information. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you and I have been on the line for a bit and I want to let you get off and have your evening, but what else do you want listeners to know? 
Um, the one, well, I think I alluded a little bit to the one thing was that I think it's really important to know that it's not an all or nothing. This is not an all or nothing proposition. It's not like you're, you know, breastfeeding versus bottle feeding that there's situations where breastfeeding doesn't work out. And that is not a reflection of you of a mom at all. Okay. It is not. Um, no. The other thing, a couple other things, and I don't know if it's necessarily breastfeeding related, but might be more postpartum related, mm-hmm. is really the importance of preparing when you're pregnant or even right after you've had a baby for all the things that need to be done to take care of your own self and your own healing. Because I can't, I made this mistake when I was a new mom with my first. Mm-hmm. I did not take enough care of my own self. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't, you know, prepared for what postpartum was going to be like. And I thought it was fine to be, unfortunately, I guess now with social distancing, it's not the case, but you should never have to come home with a two-day-old baby and feel like you have to entertain, you know what I mean, a bunch right. of people who are right. there to visit your baby. Right. And you shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to be washing dishes and doing, you know, other people. There are other people. have to ask for help. Yeah. Yes, there are other people. You don't have to be a super mom. You don't have to expect that you're going to lose all your pregnancy weight within a month or two. You know, all of these expectations, just be easy on yourself. And I, I, it's so much easier said than done, but you're going to get through this. And I, you know, you are an amazing woman. You have just birthed, created a life and birthed a baby and you are nourishing them. And I think, you know, just understanding that, that you, um, this is hard work and it's worthwhile, um, but that you really do need to remember to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Put mom first, baby will be fine. Put baby first. Yes. Mom drags behind. It's, it's, you know, Absolutely. And it sets a precedent. That. Yeah. You don't want to set a precedent. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we need to we need to reframe everybody's thinking about that. Mom comes first, baby will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. So are you ready for our rapid fire roundup questions? They're hard ones. They're super hard. Um, I think I'm as ready as, I think I'm as ready as I'll be. Okay. <laughs> okay. What role does feminism play in your life? What role does it play in my life? Yeah. I don't actively think about it but it's in the background I think every moment of every single day if that makes any sense at all like it's so important yes but it is everything from oh my gosh mothering doctoring um oh gosh being a you know why you know the role of what a wife is supposed to be um as an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur entrepreneur right like yeah. it, it is definitely it's the backbone so I have to say I probably don't give it enough appreciation at all like I kind of almost you know take a little bit of it for granted which I shouldn't now that you're asking me this question <laughs> well I'm in Portland you know feminism is front line here <laughs> yeah. that's the regional differences right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. That was a good answer. You did a good job with that. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Oh, no one. Oh, okay. That's Nobody it. ever told me. 
I think there's two. One is that being an adult is as hard as it is. And number two, that being a mom is as hard as it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took my own mom for granted for well, so we long. All do. Um, <laughs> I know, but it, it, those things, like, it, it, it's so hard. Yeah, it is. Especially. People make it look easy. Like, people make things look easy, but they're not. And that's, no. that can be a problem, too. Yeah, that's social media. Instagram motherhood <sighs> is not the same as motherhood. Oh, my gosh. I am so glad that I did not have the baby. <laughs> oh, me too. Thank the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Those were good answers. So last question is this. Where do you stand in the world of motherhood? Where am I? I am here to uh, support and be connected with every other mom that's out there. Um, I think that we all need to have each other's backs. Um, but really, um, in terms of we have so much in common, like we need to find all of those common threads to be able to improve all these things. Like you talked about breastfeeding to be honest with each other, but also to take away there's that tendency to, to judge a little bit and really try to step back and look at everybody's unique circumstances. Right. Um, empathy. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds basic, um, but I think that, yeah, in terms of that, that, that maternal, femi- you know, female mm-hmm. maternal mm-hmm. connection, that, that common thread that we all have. Mm-hmm trying to bring everybody together. Excellent. So where could people find you if they want more information about you and what you do? Do you have a website? I do. Um, that, the easiest way to find me would be on my, um, my side practices website. It's called Primrose Newborn Care. And the web address is um, www.primrosenewborncare.com. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining in the conversation. I've really had a good time. Thank you. Thank you. It was so nice to talk to you. Yeah. We'll talk again down the road. Okay. Bye-bye. this week, everybody. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Jessica Madden, and her website again is www.primrosenewbornfair.com. You can find me over at jeanfalco.com. Email me your questions at jean at jeanfalco.com. We're over on Twitter at jeanfalco.com. Facebook and Instagram, we're at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk again next week.